Cineboys to Cinemen, episode five. Mm. Episode five. Hello. Uh, hope you're well, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Uh, feeling a bit sniffly today, Jesus. all the last couple of days. Yeah. Jesus. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So just as a little disclaimer, uh, if you hear any sniffling or gravelly throats, yeah, yeah. then you know you know what that, why that is. <laughs> this week, we are going to be discussing... Darren Aronofsky's is that it? Aronofsky? Darren Aronofsky. Aronofsky, yeah. 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 I guess Aronofsky's. <laughs> yeah, just call him Darrenofsky. Darrenofsky, yeah. yeah. Darrenofsky's the whale. Mm. His uh, claustrophobic chamber piece about the many manifestations of trauma. Uh, it's a film that I must admit I came out of the cinema and was sort of not sold on a lot of it, but kind of swept up by its intentions uh and since that point i found myself actually thinking about it a little bit more negatively every time i think about it yeah what about you well i um sort of not not the opposite but i came out of the cinema thinking that it was good but it had a lot of problems yeah and then i thought i need time to sort of digest all this and then my opinion of it like yours sort of lapsed somewhat but now then in the kind of days afterwards i've got a bit warmer to it again ever oh, so okay. slightly yeah i just i don't think i've been won over by it like i i am with some of his other work but um it yeah there was i do keep thinking about it and the kind of empathy uh, and all that kind of stuff which we'll get into a little bit more but um yeah i'm i'm a tad warmer on it than i was okay initially well, that, well that'd be make for an interesting episode then because i think by and large we've pretty much agreed yeah yeah <laughs> and i did think that the other day like we're just basically agreeing with each other which is you know which is fine yeah i agree um, yeah yeah i agree with that <laughs> um but uh i think it'd be nice to have a little bit of a yeah yeah a bit of a separate yeah separate ideas on the film mm. the podcast before that of course has a topic of discussion which leans into the film or relates to the film yeah. as you should be aware of by now with one of the central themes of the film being isolation we thought it'd be a good place to discuss the topic more broadly yeah. In cinema around certain categories that we've sort of cherry picked. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a good one. Lovely stuff. Enjoy. Enjoy. Questing the cinematic void. Okay then. So here are the aforementioned categories around the theme of isolation because that's mm. what we're going to talk about for a little bit before we dip into the film. Nice. Um, so we're aware that there are lots of different ideas that can be explored through isolation. Yeah. And initially we had loads of different categories, but on the basis of the fact we want to keep this podcast, you know, we don't want to take up too much of your time, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> more, than we, more than we have sort of already allotted with our sort of previous runtime. So we sort of narrowed it down. So I've got technological isolation. Yes. Uh, isolation by species which works in a sort of sci-fi context, yep. and we'll discuss that later on. Uh, out of time. Mm. So isolation through maybe having like a dated ideology yeah. or a dated belief system or indeed sort of... Even age. Age, age yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. 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 So that would be interesting, some good films in that in that section. Mm. Uh, and we've got cultural socio-political isolation, so yeah. the experience uh, of that through the lens of class, yeah. uh, race. Mm. Immigration. Immigration, yeah. yeah. And then finally, uh, isolation through trauma, which will lead nicely into a discussion about the whale. Yeah, but definitely. But beforehand, a little discussion about the Joker, because I think there's a lot of parallels here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so let's start then with uh, the first one that I mentioned. Mm. 
which is uh, technological isolation. Okay. And a film, I think, that in certainly more recent uh, releases that does that best is Her. Spike Jones as Her. Yes. Uh, I believe you wanted to kick this one off, Ben. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, just start by saying that I think it's a really wonderful film. Mm. Um, very breezy i think is the right word considering it's about quite a hefty subject matter like if you try to explain the plot to someone they and then they sat down to watch it they'd probably be pleasantly surprised Mm. by its sort of humanity Mm. because you know at face value it's about a guy falling in love with his operating system yes but actually you know it's it's that classic thing about you you get presented a, a sort of synopsis but the film is actually about something else entirely which is basically about Joaquin Phoenix's character and his and his loneliness mm. and how he kind of navigates this sort of futuristic landscape with a, a new companion who shows him his own humanity mm. but through that because of the the nature of the relationship she, uh, she starts to sort of i guess drift apart they they sort of drift apart and mm. she she has um she becomes as she becomes sort of more sentient through him she realizes that she sort of no longer needs him and it's you know it's heartbreaking but as an illustration of isolation it's really nice really unique and um if you haven't seen it i'd recommend it highly yeah i think there's a real sort of what you said about it being sort of breezy i think it's almost a facade in some ways that mm. breeziness because i think john's is sort of unafraid to take those themes into darker territory mm. okay um and I really like that about the film. But I also just like the sense of humour the film has. Yeah. Um, and I, I particularly like the way in which he sort of threads the technology into the sort of into the themes of the story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that one of the most common things that's been said about the film is that it's not totally unbelievable, is it? Really? No, no, no. no. I, <laughs> I mean, mean, a lot of sci-fi does centre on this idea of you know being in sort of far-reaching galactic locations and locales but yeah. often the most impactful sci-fi films tend to have like a a, a sort of anchor point in something familiar and relatable to yeah, us yeah. and that's not to say that films about spaceships stuff can't no but in these sort of sprawling urban metropolises yeah. metropolises <laughs> metropoli metropoli <laughs> let's go with that I like that yeah, metropoli yeah. <laughs> which is already a place of great loneliness yeah you yeah. sort of you blend in amongst the masses but it's been exacerbated by the over-reliance on technology yeah it's funny because like i think with her i expected it to go in such a different direction like i expected the film to explore how society reacts to his unusual new girlfriend basically yeah yeah but actually the film goes in totally opposite directions it illustrates that all of society is changing in the same way mm. and he has a, he has a uh, an actual like a, he does have a friend in it and yeah at some point there's a, a confession by him that he's having experiencing the same feelings towards his own os mm. uh, and i love that was such a lovely moment in that he has found common ground with someone else and really i, th- I feel like despite what you might think you might think that the, his reliance on something created by humans would make him more isolated. It does the opposite. It actually brings him closer to yeah to other human beings, which is really, yeah, like really disarming, surprising way of going about it. Yeah, it sort of reminds me of like that, the thing you said about you expect everyone else around him, the other sort of human characters, to judge him mm. for, his, for this sort of the way in which he develops this 
romantic relationship yeah. with computer software. Yeah. But it sort of reminds me of how, like, like 10 years ago, if you saw someone walking down the street talking with their headphones in, you, you would have thought they were mad. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, totally. now everyone's yeah. doing it. You know, it's yeah. that sort of... Like, I, mean, I know it's kind of different in the sense that, obviously, people are still talking to other people. But yeah. it's this idea that technology moves so rapidly and so quickly that it mm. drastically sort of has a drastic impact on the sort of our behaviour and, and, mm. and what we expect and what we expect to see in the sort of our social norms and the way yeah. we interact with one another. I yeah. really like that. And I, I really like the idea that the technology is supposed to sort of simplify our lives. So yeah. initially it sort of presents this this as sort of like escapism. Yeah. The idea that this technology is supposed to be easier because it, it's implied that he obviously had a relationship before with Rooney Mara's character. I forgot her name in, in the film. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I think but that didn't work out for yeah. whatever reason. and Or a reason that's eluded me because it's been so long since I've seen it. But <laughs> it's just this idea that the technology is supposed to make it easier and then it just becomes like another, any other relationship, which is yeah. just as fraught with the complexities and the difficulties that that you have with people. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think about it like that, actually. Yeah, because obviously, you know, we have things like the, the Google... It's not You have like Alexa and, you know, Google clocks and stuff you can talk to now. Yeah. And at, at this point in time, it, it does make things slightly easier. It's weird, like... Um, the other night, I literally just sort of wanted to try it out, and I said, uh, "Hey Google, play like relaxing forest sounds." Did exactly that, like immediately. Yeah, I was like, yeah. "Oh shit!" And like you can set alarms just by talking to it. You don't, you don't even have to lift a finger. But you know, I think that what her illustrates is that inevitably that simplicity is going to give way to complexity. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And and that's gonna, you know, relating it back to isolation, is that going to make you feel? more alone or less alone <laughs> yeah um, yeah i don't know interesting i mean it could be a future where you have like a sort of little slot mm. by your um charging station to put your genitals in maybe yeah yeah i mean I, I'm, to what purpose yeah well we'll find out i'm sure in the i next... mean yeah i mean someone better be building that yeah if not i'm gonna start <laughs> <laughs> to sack in this podcast yeah and start no, building no. <laughs> wall sockets that you could have sex with yeah yeah look out for that I'll, well, I was uh, asking Google yeah to play you forest sounds <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah I think it is the definitive certainly the more modern example of that yeah um, because again like we said before it ties into the ideas of isolation but through the lens of the technology that we're all too familiar with yeah. obviously it's much more sophisticated than than it is at the moment yeah um, but I, it's totally feasible yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It's not. It's not out of our reach. And I think sure. that's part of the reason why it works so well. Mm. As not just a comment on isolationism and how technology confused with that, mm. but also technology in itself. Yeah, and how that's going to impact us moving forward. Hopefully, okay. it doesn't end like Terminator. That's, that's <laughs> all I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to move on then to uh, isolation by species. Yeah. Okay. You want to talk about uh, a film you you have a lot of reverence for? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's Under the Skin, nice. a film that I know we both love. I really want to talk about more the sort of the journey that Scarlett Johansson's unnamed alien character takes through the film. Yeah. Because she's initially on the planet to harvest male human organs for meat. Yeah. Although it's not really sort of disclosed in the narrative of the film, but in the book, uh, there's like a background sort of study or exploration of why yeah. this is being done uh, okay. so like human meat is sort of like a delicacy okay and it's yeah. her job to bring mm. human men in by via seduction 
and then obviously have a way with them, uh, not sexually, no. <laughs> but turning them into this <laughs> sort of... Despite what they might believe. Yes, yeah. <laughs> this sort of pulverised sort of paste that can be, I guess, taken off to wherever it needs to go. Yeah. But what happens throughout the process of the film is through these sort of like planned and choreographed exchanges in which she sort of reels them in with her sexuality. Yeah. Uh, she has, she takes sort of snapshots of their humanity. As this happens more and more, she begins to sort of be become fascinated by what it is to be human. Uh, and that's where the film sort of moves away from the sort of uh, unnerving sci-fi horror element and more a study of yeah. the human condition from the eyes of an alien. Yeah, in the yeah. sense that they're always looking in. Mm. They can never quite attain or understand quite what it is about the human condition that's so appealing because she sees the good and the bad. Yeah, and it's what makes the study all the more fascinating is uh, the director Jonathan Glazer's preference for keeping the alien in these sort of ground level environments mm. there's no sort of sweeping sci-fi vistas or like these sprawling urban metropolises yeah, <laughs> that word again yeah metropoli <laughs> it's um it's in like shopping centers and and these sort of like dirty A-road streets and stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and like lingering around like Hibern- i think it's hibernian football club grant the hibernian football club ground you know <laughs> all these places of course we're not scottish but they're 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 close enough yeah to sort of give it this film a sort of a bizarre domestic feel yeah that not only complements the sort of horror elements of the mm. film but also again like i said before that journey to humanity okay yeah yeah i'm i am agreeing with you again but i do <laughs> i do love that film i love what i really loved about it is um how i mean like as you said before there's actually a lot of context to that story that any kind of you know if you were adapting it you might think i've got to include all this stuff about how her harvesting these these bodies and how it's a delicacy to her sort of race but what i love and what i think really contributes to that sort of sense of isolation is the fact that it's it's sort of adapted from the the feel of the book it's kind of like what alex garland did with annihilation he read it once put it down and then just wrote the script he didn't oh, okay. he didn't didn't ever revisit it again so a lot of the 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 dna of the story is in there but it's it's basically adapted from memory and i think right. yeah that it just really helps with you sort of delving into her mind i say her mind you don't only because she's sort of take got, on the human form yeah yeah um and uh, and just how yeah how lonely and Sort of a, a fascination from afar. Yeah, is <laughs> she's so deta- clearly so detached, and that's partly down to Scott, Scarlett Johansson's performance, and um, and just the way she interacts with people is so human. Yet there's just something off about it, isn't there? Yeah, it's, it's all, incredibly yeah. sort of predatory. Mm, yeah, she's, yeah. She's, she starts the film as a predator. Yeah, and then slowly just turns into like this chameleon. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, and I think that's, that that transition in her character is one of the most compelling things about the film. I think yeah. there's that bit near the end where she does she break into a house or she she enters or she's staying at someone's house. Isn't she, she yeah, she's staying with a bloke, and I think they try and have sex. Yes, and obviously, that's right. Yeah, they can't because mm. her outer sort of exterior is obviously artificial. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, she stays in the house for a little bit, doesn't she? Before she sequests herself into the, the Scottish Highlands. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's that moment where she's um this might sound a little bit gratuitous, but when she's looking in the mirror and she's just totally naked and just like looking at herself. Yeah. She's for the first time she sort of you can tell she just yearns for 
the innards yeah <laughs> as well as, uh, you know as well as what the exterior has kind of afforded yeah, her because yeah. she's equipped for the job that she has within the context of the story she is a you know they've designed a beautiful human woman yeah yeah that can basically goad lonely men <laughs> to yeah. their to their demise mm. in a way that suits this uh, this sort of clandestine alien butcher shop thing <laughs> yeah. going on and i think that's really fascinating about the film and i think sort of drifting slightly away from isolation or the theme of isolation slightly but i think it also speaks to johansson herself the role that she plays and yeah. the fact that the waste of glazer did it that she would drive around edinburgh I think, uh, in, in that big white van yes yeah with cameras all around and some of the interactions it just seems so strange to me that a stratospheric star like scarlett Hansen, who is you know a brilliantly talented actress, but yeah. many people is a, is a sex symbol. Yeah. Um, and yet she's in this sort of downplayed role. Glazer sort of downplays her sexuality in one sense in that she's almost not noticeable in yeah. terms of this sort of celebrity obsession, but maintains it to suit the themes of the film. Yeah, Which yeah. is this idea that she is there to, well, you know, like we said before... <laughs> <laughs> feast well not not herself but supply the human supply meat the goods, to yeah. her overlords or whatever mm. so i just think it's a really interesting sort of meta oh god i hate the use of that word but you know it's an interesting meta study on her, her fame and her presence yeah. as an actress alongside being i think a brilliant exploration of isolation yeah in the sense that you know she is isolated she can never have that human experience no matter how no. hard she tries and and it ends pretty badly for her. spoilers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty tragically, but in a way I think is fitting for the film. Mm, yeah, um, it's beautiful, kind of quite beautiful. Yeah, because she's, she, you know, she's never going to get that humanity. She's never going to get the acceptance. I mean, yeah, I'm just remembering another scene from that from a horrible scene at the beginning with the, the person who drowns on the beach. Oh, she's yeah. She's watching them. Yeah, and yeah. That is, that is how Glazer sort of tells you, hey, this person is, she's not human at all. Like, yeah, She's got yeah. no empathy at that point. She just leaves this boy on the beach, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and the parents drowned. As that, she, yeah, Jesus Christ, that child is really crying. And she just turns and walks yeah, away. It's yeah, yeah. Like, bloody hell! What a bombshell! And what a way to introduce you to that kind of the d- detachment. Yeah. Of, of the characters, great. And a detachment that slowly erodes away as the film progresses. Mm, yeah. Yeah, brilliant film. If you haven't seen it, <laughs> and you can go with the fact we've just ruined it for you, yeah, I yeah. I wholeheartedly suggest that you watch it. The next theme is isolation through being out of time or out of touch. Okay. I guess the film that we both want to talk about in this context was Drive, a film about a loner, the archetypal loner. Yeah. The lone wanderer. Mm. Uh, There's a lot of sort of discourse about the film being this um, exploration of the lone wanderer from the Wild West. Yeah. Taken from like the sort of arid sun-scarred landscapes yeah. of the old west and dropped in this neon-drenched sprawling urban metropoli oh, third time oh, yeah <laughs> boom um i guess the thing that really struck me about the film in terms of its relationship with isolation is within those stories that the film or ryan gosling's character is kind of borrowing from there's a an idea that heroism legitimizes violence okay yeah you know, because if you think about a lot of classic westerns, you know the guys will turn up, the lead will sort of gun down people. Mm. Uh, sometimes villains, other times it's indigenous people. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's all in the guise of heroism, and yeah. and this guy has the right as the morality that legitimizes his violence. Yeah, okay. or his use of violence. Yeah, 
Um, and in this case, you've already got someone who is a loner, who's clearly disconnected from the world around them, has very limited uh, relationships. Yeah, almost no social interactions no. at all. Yeah. But then falls in love. Yeah. And through that, he begins to sort of access this part of himself that he has left behind. Yeah. Uh, and classic sort of, and it sort of still ties into that sort of cowboy thing that it's often a love interest that seems to draw out this residual humanity, yeah, yeah, and sort of bring them into the light from the darkness of all the sort of killing that they've yeah, done, yeah, yeah. And in this case, um, it almost becomes unbearably optimistic with use of the soundtrack and the lighting, yeah, yeah, and then of course coming to head with that lift sequence. Oh my god, yeah, that's just horrendous, um, and an illustration of. You know, I mean, you got you got the the class, the tail of the scorpion and the frog, isn't it? Which is on, <laughs> on his back, and he, obviously the in the story, the scorpion stings the frog, and it its excuses. It's in my nature. I'm sorry, I can't help it. And that's basically you know the kind, yeah, that kind yeah. of mor- morality tale. And a very similar thing happens right there in that lift. It was he just can't he can't move away from that isolation that he's experienced for so long and he he acts accordingly despite the fact that he's got his his new kind of love interest mm. there with him and uh it, it's illustrated it's it's not a heroic moment at all what no. he does it's just gruesome and yeah. really difficult yeah i think it it sort of speaks to the idea about the idea we sort of touched on earlier about heroism legitimizing violence in the sense that you know they're in the lift together they kiss and it's a beautifully shot beautifully lit scene and the soundtrack's inch perfect in that moment. Yeah, yeah. It's almost sort of ethereal. Yeah. And then the other gentleman who's in the lift is a is a sort of foot soldier of this criminal enterprise or organisation. And he draw, goes to draw his gun. And then uh, Gosling's driver, sort of, or yeah, drivey. Drivey, driver, yeah, yeah. yeah. Drivey, <laughs> disarms him and throws him down to the ground. And that would have been an act of heroism yes. to leave it there. Let, yeah. You've saved the your you know the love of your life. Yeah. You've dispatched the assailant in a in a way that is, you know, more than acceptable given the parameters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not that I would know. I, I mean, I'm fucking out like, you know, I don't know what you know. As if I'm, <laughs> as if I'm talking, I have any idea about you know eth- the ethics of self defence or self defence <laughs> at all. But you know, like in the context of the narrative, it, it sort of would have been. Odd just to leave it there. Yeah. I mean, I don't really crave for that level of violence, but then the moment happens. He oh, repeatedly God. stamps on this guy's head. Yeah. Beyond the realms of, you know, this isn't just saving someone's life. No, this is his, this is his own emotions kind of getting the better of it. enacting this violence. And then yeah. she steps out of the elevator and looks in it at horror at him. Yeah. And he knows at that exact moment he can never be the person that she wants him to be. Yeah. And he can never be the hero that the audience wants him to be. Yeah. Because the sort of journey that the hero undertakes in, in yeah. many of these films, the violence that they sort of, I don't know, sort of submerge themselves in, I guess maybe is sort of reined in by the ethics of the time. Mm. Whereas in Drive, it's, it's full frontal. Yeah, like he needs to leave right now. Because yeah. <laughs> otherwise he'll get arrested. <laughs> yeah. And that'll be that... Um... It's a really ironic use of that college song, you know, the real human being. Oh, yeah. Because he's neither of those things by the end of that film. No. He's not a real hero at all, and he's not even, he's not really that much of a human being either. It's just a, a really interesting choice of soundtrack. Yeah, he's yeah. sort of surrendered himself to violence. Yeah. Uh, I think he's always sort of surrendered himself to violence. Yeah. But this sort of stretch out for humanity gives, I guess, her and the audience hope that maybe mm. he 
won't sort of degenerate back into that former self and that past self. Yeah, yeah. And that lift sequence shows that he is, it's always going to be there. Yeah, I mean, great great casting because Ryan Gosling is such a charismatic guy, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. You, and so that expectation is only going to be exemplified by that. Yeah. And um, also, I mean, kind of parallel with Under the Skin almost, with the beach scene in uh, Under the Skin, there's a scene at the beginning of Drive where he's in a cafe and someone just asks him a question. He, t- I can't remember what he says, but he just turns round and just like spits insults at this yeah, guy in a yeah. re- with a really deadpan kind of blank expression on his face and that's again that that cue that tells you like this guy's a real loner yeah and, and he's and he's not a hero no not, not at all he's not a hero yeah, yeah he's, he's a scorpion yeah exactly yeah. dirty scorpion <laughs> um there was another film i quickly wanted to mention i'm not sure if you've seen it but um lonely are the brave i've not seen, seen that it? no so um it just quickly yeah. um but it's uh, Kirk Douglas plays like a cowboy clinging on to the last sort of vestiges of the cowboy ideology. Oh, okay. It's sort of like uh, rooting, tooting, hard drinking, <laughs> hard fighting, sort of... Gunslinger. Gunslinger, oh, yeah. this hyper-masculine image that, you know, for a very long time was one of the great symbols of American cinema. Yeah. And then you have this guy who's in a period of time where the Wild West is no longer this untamed landscape. There are fences everywhere. Yeah. And okay. he goes into bars and people react differently to him. Yeah, okay. And the film sort of progresses more and more into this, in, basically him being hunted down by the police. Uh, this sort of, it's vaguely similar to Rambo in this sense of someone, obviously the, the reasons for this isolation are different. Yeah. That's another great example of a yeah, film actually. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> but um, one for trauma perhaps. The yeah, trauma. definitely. Uh, that wasn't planned. No. <laughs> I promise. No, no. <laughs> it actually wasn't. Spontaneous Rambo. Um, but... It's this sort of idea that you are you are out of touch, out of mm. date, and out of time. Yeah. And everyone around you, their behaviour towards you, the society that you used to inhabit is just not built for you anymore. Mm. And it's a really... I mean, Kirk Douglas is immense in the film. I mean, I'm a big Kirk Douglas fan, um, but it's one of my favourite performances and probably my top three Westerns of all time. It's just... Mm. It's that good. I would really... You know, it's really hard to find. I actually found it on Mubi oh, one right. night. One of the guys I used to work with, uh, a French fella <laughs> called Alexi, said to me, "You know, you need to watch this. Check out this film before it goes." And I just did it on a complete whim on my on my laptop. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And it ended up having such an impact on me that I just, whenever I think about the best Western films, it's there. Oh, okay. Because I think the best Western films, not all. But typically, tend to come from that period of reflection. Yeah, it's interesting. We talk about Drive being this sort of, um, you know, reflecting on the the, the sort of the heroism and the, and the sort of inherent flaws within that heroism. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the best westerns tend to be the films that focus on the, you know, the fact that actually this isn't a place that should be used to sort of showcase morality or decency yeah these places are actually horrible yeah. and the people that lived in these landscapes are horrible yeah um i mean I, you know lonely the brave kirk Douglas's character isn't necessarily evil he's more just like i said out of time out of place uh, okay but it's yeah i think the western's a great place to look for if you want to see that sort of um reflection on heroism and how flawed it really is really and how really by obsessing over that, it's probably not the most healthy thing for our society that no, we, that we I mean, think about these things. Yeah. I, I don't mean, know. I mean, I'm sort of straying into territory I have very little idea about, but... just I'd, I'd love to watch that, actually. The, just the idea of, you know, being an analogue an analog guy in a digital world. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, that kind yeah. of uh, idea of... Um, 
and how that can be very isolating i imagine you know if you kind of subscribe to those sort of hyper masculine ideas the isolation can only grow worse like mm. you're not encouraged to sort of seek help or find solace in other human beings if you're this kind of gruff like lone you know that the sort of lone ranger yeah. type person lone ranger is that right or, yeah, yeah, I mean, I want to say, it totally yeah. applies to the film. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lone yeah, gunslinger. With it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. So. Yeah, just just thought it was worth a mention because mm. um, I don't know. It's funny. There's a list of films I sort of looked to shoehorn into the podcast. <laughs> Last week it was Predator Two. Oh yeah. Today yeah. it's Lonely the Brave. <laughs> Two very different films, but <laughs> no. fuck it, I'm doing it. Do it. So again, I sort of feel like we're going through these really quick, but again, mm. brevity. You know, we don't want to be here for like three hours. No problem. Uh, or Unless that's what they want. I mean, we could never stop. (laughs) We could never stop, yeah. Um, The next one is cultural, socio, or socio-political isolation. Okay. So I guess this one being less about ideology that is personal and Mm. more about these power structures that isolate you. What have you got? What have I got? Uh, I don't know if this is not a power structure, but... I, Daniel Blake. In the- I would argue definitely about power structure, I, Daniel Blake. Maybe maybe you're right, actually. I was just thinking in terms of... Because uh, another large theme in that theme in that film is the fact that... Cause Sorry, he's, not to... He's a, no, no, no. Um, you know, just because he's an older man, that doesn't help him either. But it is very much about, you know, the, his class. Yeah, and, government imposed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. how that combined with being an elderly gentleman... And not being able to move forward with the time, similar to what you were saying earlier about um, lonely and the brave. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just think it's a really heartbreaking illustration of how society, as it moves forward, and how the you know the the, the powers of the country get sort of changed and mm-hmm. become a become less about the, the collective and more about the individual, and what that can do to people who are 60 or over really it's yeah really um really heartbreaking really horrendous no it's not a horrendous portrayal at all he's a really kind character but just what happens to him is really really upsetting yeah i think it's to me it's like that sort of systemic apathy mm, okay that the the, the the individuals who do fall on hard times for whatever reason have to deal with and face yeah and how I guess it could be isolation through deep dehumanization. You know, you're yeah. having your humanity taken away from you by not giving, by not being given your sort of fundamental basic rights. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I mean I've mean, i been on the dole a few times <laughs> <laughs> and I've always sort of felt that, uh, particularly in my sort of later experiences with it, that, you know, it isn't really about helping you out, really. It's uh, about it's, t- ticking boxes. It's about ticking boxes. Yeah, and it's yeah. almost the sales culture has bled into this, yeah. into the, the sort of the world of finding people work, which I yeah. I think it only further deepens the issues mm. because when you create this sort of structure that wants quick answers, it's not going to, there's not a one size fits all sort of approach. Yeah. It's also, I mean, it sort of weirdly relates a little bit back to what we we're saying about her, about how technology is meant to simplify things. Yeah. And whilst that can be the case for some generations, it's a lot more complicated than that. Older generations who are used to basically writing things on paper, yeah, uh, they're going to get left behind because you know they have to go 
they're not going to invest in a computer at like what seventy eight or whatever. Like they have to go <laughs> yeah. to the library and do it. And, yeah, yeah. And you know, you get an hour and the time runs out. And I'm thinking specifically about a scene that he, where he tries to like make a CV. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And apply for a job so he can basically like, pay his phone bill and things like that. And it's just so he's so lonely in that moment, despite the fact he's surrounded by people. Because those people are all successfully using this technology, yeah, and he's yeah. not, and it's um, well, it yeah. speaks a lot about the idea about technology. It's supposed to be simplistic or or make one's life a bit simpler, but when you know used in a bureaucratic institution, it's it's not simple. In no. fact, it almost ends up aiding the needlessly complicated nature yeah. of those institutions. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I it's strange because when I first saw that film, I was really blown away by it, and I'd seen it since, and I, it didn't impact me as much. Oh, really? I think the okay. key messages and ideas of the film I totally, mm. you know, totally buy into because this isn't something that's fantasy. This is yeah. reality. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, continues. Yeah, yeah. How clever am I? There's something about the film that doesn't feel quite as real to me. Okay. Yeah. Not necessarily in the themes, but in the way he... he he approaches them. I don't know. No, no, no. I, I, I wasn't sure. I'm not sure about why it was. It sort of didn't sit as well with me the second time. But I think it might even be down to the way it was shot because you know you're used to, you know, Ken Loach, uh, gritty realism. Used to it looking gritty physically, yeah. and yeah. I'm almost certain this was a digitally shot film, and so that kind of that natural sheen you get with the, yeah. the digital camera could have actually weirdly. Taking taking you out of it maybe the second yeah. time I don't know yeah no I yeah. think the thing about di- using digital cinematography sometimes is it can make your things look a bit soapy yeah yeah and I remember funnily one of my dear friends saying to me that it, to him it was nothing more than the glorified episode of EastEnders oh wow which okay. I think was a harsh criticism yeah, yeah, yeah valid yeah. Yeah. but harsh for me yeah. but I could see at least sort of it certainly visually where he was coming from and that might be a part of the reason why I don't know maybe yeah but yeah. I think there you're you right about the sort of the, the idea of it tying in with lots of other ideas of isolation about age, yeah. technology, yeah. and of course the systemic uh, forces that can almost cultivate isolation. Yeah. Another sort of, I guess, film we want to, that I can think of that ties one into what we've just talked about is Bicycle Thieves. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, a film about a period of time in Italy, post-war Italy, yeah. countries in financial ruins. Mm. Uh, people are. Desperate, desperately clamouring for any source of income they can find. Yeah, yeah. And it's about this this man who is lucky enough to acquire a job putting up posters around the city. In order to do that, he needs a bike. Right. So his family sells some treasured possessions. He gets a bike. On his first day of the job, his bike gets stolen. Yeah. And the rest of the film is about him and his son desperately sort of going through the city trying to find their bike mm. in order to you know yeah make it make ends meet I make guess. ends yeah, meet yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's a simple i mean it's you know the film is arguably one of the most defining examples of italian neorealism yeah a genre that seeks to sort of show post-war italy for what it was yeah and this strife and the difficulties and the i guess the socio-political apparatus that made it difficult for them to navigate anything more than this this situation you need something as simple as a bike to make money without the bike there is nothing yeah yeah it's you know? just that uh, does just kind of hammer at home just how just how horrible it must have been post you know post-war of a you know, country trying to get back up on its feet 
and something as simple as uh, you know not even a motorized vehicle mm. can just scupper your plans for f- not even not even fortune but just uh, scraps of cash is yeah, is, yeah really striking and uh, a really interesting way to illustrate isolation yeah via the the, the way uh, the government has handled a particular situation yeah um, and it's also about the sort of the system that they live in in the sense that the only way that these individuals can uh, write, that can gain money is by almost clamouring atop of each other. They have to steal from each other. Yeah. They have to rely on the fact that people are going to sell their treasured possessions. You know, I mean, yeah. one of the most striking scenes for me upon a recent rewatch was the the scene where they go, where the um, main character takes in some really nice bed sheets to sell oh, for yeah. the bike, yeah, yeah, and yeah. the woman takes them and takes them into this huge like warehouse with shelves upon shelves of bed sheets that yeah. people have sold. So it just goes to show that in times of great struggle, there are still people profiting off this. Oh, man, yeah. And yeah. I think it's, I don't know, like a real, really striking moment for me in terms of this idea that the system the characters live in is very much driven by that singular-minded desire to succeed. Yeah. And how that can either inadvertently or not end up sort of treading on the toes of others or actively making other people's lives worse to make yours better. Yeah, I mean, if you live in that climate, it's going to be isolating because you can't trust anyone all yeah, of a sudden. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, yeah, that was, I, didn't, I haven't thought about that film in a long time. That's a really wicked illustration of... Uh, oh, thank you. Well, no, no, it's all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to finish on one that ties in nicely with mm. The Whale. Yes. Um, isolation through trauma... Perfect. Oh, yeah. Isolation through uh, living with one's demons. Mm. And now this is a very common theme in lots of films, yeah. um, but particularly a couple of films that we're going to discuss yeah. right now. So here we are then, Ben. The big one is, of course... Taxi Driver. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's so much to said about this film, about yeah. these themes, isn't there, for obvious reasons. Yeah, I mean, it's just as a very overt illustration of isolation is yeah the cream of the crop really a lot of Paul Schrader's films are about very isolated characters but yeah I know I know this is Scorsese but uh, Paul Schrader wrote it yeah yeah <laughs> um, again it's another film set in a city you wouldn't think a lot of films that are about loneliness are w- would be set in this kind of sprawling urban area but um here we are you know a man surrounded by people and he's un- unable to connect with any of them yeah um and uh, you know it's it is about largely about his attempts to, and and his failures to really, and how that leads him on a kind of downwards spiral into chaotic madness. Mm. Really, um, yeah, just a really fascinating, undoubtedly, uh, you know, it's an absolute classic. If you haven't seen Taxi Driver, what uh, are you doing? What are you doing, mate? Yeah, yeah stop yeah. listening to this for a start. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it it doesn't stop with Travis Bickle either. It, it, there's a he, he has an interaction with another fellow kind of very. It's Scorsese who plays the, yeah, the other chap, yeah. yeah, and he's kind of experiencing something slightly similar to the the main yeah. character, which is uh, yeah, wonderful. It's yeah, I mean, it's a you know one of the the greats for not only this genre, but for me, you know, it's probably my favorite Scorsese movie. Yeah. Um, and that's not an uncommon opinion. I think that's held by a lot of people. Yeah, no, but... Um, but yeah, no, I, I just love it. I, what I love so much about it is the film. It's often seen as the sort of tentpole moment for New Hollywood, isn't it? This, yeah. 
the cinema that is almost looking inwards with greater freedom. You know, the classic studio system. I mean, it'd be you know silly to say that films couldn't do that before they could, and there's plenty mm. of brilliant examples that could, but they had to be a lot more guarded and a lot more secretive about how they did it. Yeah. Uh, whereas in New Hollywood, you know, they were reflecting on society with a lot with the much greater freedom mm. because that's what people wanted. They were clamoring for a Hollywood that could explore the darkest corners of a country that had been previously obscured by this rigid cultural conservatism you yeah. know, that had, pre- that had pre- prevented that from ever happening before. Mm. So that's one of the first reasons I love that film. It's the birth of a new generation of yeah. filmmakers. And I think why it's so emblematic of that explosion is, you know, the fact is it's all in Travis Bickle himself. You know, he's a former US soldier returning from Vietnam of course, historically, a lot of people came back to Vietnam jaded, mm. um, riddled with all manner of uh, neurological... Yeah, post-traumatic stress disorder. Issues, and kind of yeah. yeah. And, you know, not only have they come back to a to a country that is, you know, it doesn't welcome them with open arms yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. Also, they're just, they're just thrust back into society as, as they are. Yeah, and, and forced to kind of hold down menial jobs. Yeah, and De Niro just plays that so brilliantly i mean this character is a broken broken man who is riddled with contradictions riddled with uh you know so many sort of difficulties the way he struggles to uh, even navigate the world around him yeah i think everything i don't know it's it's just played with inch perfect execution by de niro i mean i think it's probably still his best performance for me yeah definitely one of the best. I I, always, I often think of Taxi Drivers. You know, at the end of war films, where they always have that little section at the end uh, of of like what happens next, what happens yeah. to them afterwards, like they do at the end of Jarhead. It's that, but the, as a whole film, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It, it doesn't. It, there's nothing. You know, it, there's no flashbacks to him as a soldier or anything like that. It's just, and what a fantastic way to express a great deal of honesty about. What happens to a lot of veterans of um, of was it the Vietnam? It was the Vietnam, Vietnam War, it, yeah. But any war, really, uh, yeah, wonderful. Love yeah, it. I mean, I think it just speaks to this sort of you know the, the darker aspects of culture and society. I mean, you know, the way his car sort of leers through these streets is like mm-hmm. a you know it's like a just a vessel for him, isn't it? To yeah, sort of yeah. and it almost becomes this sort of claustrophobic with these sort of troubling ideologies that he espouses either audibly or internally through the inch perfect use of narration by Schrader yeah. in the screenplay the screenplay is an absolute must read by the way if you're, uh, if you're okay. that way inclined I don't know I mean I feel like I've sort of oversimplified the key ideas of the film really what? I mean there are loads of brilliant YouTube <laughs> analysis to <laughs> watch though, or you, books to read on it because it's just you know you're presented with a behemoth when you get when you get asked to talk about Taxi Driver like that's, yeah you don't want to get it wrong do you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of pressure in it isn't yeah, there yeah yeah it's why I, I mean I was like I was searching my mind I was like shit was, was he a soldier I better not mention it just in case <laughs> well, of course he fucking was yeah um, do you mind if I have a quick segue into Mate, two two films? Which segue are... away. Well, um, there's two films I want to talk about. I'm a big fan of like survival films. Okay, good. And a lot of these are like, very overtly about isolation. It's often about someone kind of just being alone, not through choice, but through happenstance. So right. you've got 127 hours. Okay. Uh, which is a lot similar to The Whale than I think people might believe just okay. it, it, just in the sense that someone 
has let themselves go, really. Right. They're, he, I mean, in the case of 127 hours, it's because he's uh, he, he likes to be alone and he likes to kind of explore the wilderness by himself and listen to his music and that's just sort of what he loves doing. But through that and through that lack of uh, interaction with others in any meaningful way, he he ends up getting trapped by a boulder and realising, like, I've not told anyone where I'm going. <laughs> you know, and the be- worst time to realise yeah like yeah like, and it's just um, you know it's a very I think there's a lot more similarities just to, to the way which I'll touch on a little bit later on than people might realise because he's forced to reflect on how he's treated others and how he's behaved in his mm. past and yeah I mean in terms of our theme isolation it's just you know just it's just all there it's just one guy yeah for 90 minutes basically yeah yeah and yeah. uh yeah, it's an, uh, it's an action film about a guy who can't move, right? Um, yeah. And, yeah, you, you've got to mention something like that. And also the other one, briefly. Go on. I just want to talk about uh, Into the Wild. Oh, yeah. So that yeah, is yeah. by... The, the isolation is by choice, but yeah. the, the realisation is the same. Yeah. In that he, you know, th- through his... What he thinks is the ideal lifestyle, he's actually... He's he's kind of stupid. Like, he didn't he didn't say to anyone... He didn't construct any meaningful relationships, so nobody knew where he was. Nobody knew exactly where he was going. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, he needs help. <laughs> does he eat mushrooms or something? Or he does, he eats he... berries, yeah. Oh, and it. just that's it. It's just such a simple thing that happens here. And all of a sudden... What a way to die. Yeah, he just needs... Eating berries. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> and this is after you've followed this guy for two hours and you're, you're kind of with him. You're like, yeah. yeah, go, I love this kind of nomad sort of yeah. living off the land, mm. just like um, writing poetry. And then all of a sudden, you're yeah. like, mate, mate, you need people. That was the, you know, that's what I got from it. It's like, it, you need other people. It taps into that fantasy, doesn't it? Because I think in this increasingly modern world, mm. <laughs> uh, you know, people really want to hark back to a more sort of traditional or naturalist lifestyle you know people are desperate for it people are clamoring to go into the woods and dance with the squirrels instead of spending three hours on their iphones looking at like like someone braising a steak (laughs) i mean like people i think are starting to realize just how much of their lives they've surrendered to this to technology Mm. and in in a way it's made people go too much the other way yeah and i think there's a danger there which i know obviously the film was released in a time before the smartphones that really took off but or if at all existed, the, but the theme, the theme is there. Though. Yeah, this yeah. idea of just like being a, I, I guess romanticizing something like that to the point of it being dangerous. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the classic. I, I think about it sometimes. I'm like, man, I'd love to maybe just go camping for a week. Yeah, and just like you disconnect. Yeah, but yeah. then the first night you're like, I'm fucking freezing. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and yeah. it's that it is that as a film I think Into the Wild it's just... I feel like camping is so much so dependent on people going this is good isn't it yeah saying it to you all the time <laughs> yeah, yeah this yeah. is good isn't it yeah. you sort of go yeah <laughs> yeah we wasted a whole fucking bag of fire lighters yeah and, uh, yeah, yeah really cold and hungry and it's raining and uh, we've run out of beers but yeah yeah, like, yeah. there's know. some weird creature rustling outside my tent yeah, yeah. like oh fuck that <laughs> you know obviously two keen campers here I'm sure if you're yeah. you know, someone that's a bit more um prepared for the greater outdoors i'm sure you'll be thinking fuck off but yeah <laughs> i don't know yeah i i think there is something about about that about the um yeah about this sort of because i think we really are people are getting too into that fantasy now mm, yeah. particularly those that with children yeah. as well i find i think people <laughs> like are terrified of this idea of their kids becoming some sort of like 
biomechanical sort of nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. that just doesn't no do empathy, anything. Yeah, 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 but. I don't think the woods are the answer to that, though. Not necessarily. I mean, connecting to nature is a good thing. We have to say that. And I've been a bit harsh about. Yeah, um, we're being a bit harsh about that sort of hippy dippy type. Yeah, yeah. I think you know, there's a balance, and I think I think that's what the film is essentially suggesting that. Yeah, it's good to get out there, but you know, it's about his connection with others as well, and how he's pushed people away, and um, and the the realization that he's just made a huge mistake. And there's a bit where it's very overt. He literally <laughs> carves into a bit of wood. Um, ha- happiness is is sharing. Okay, so before we go into the into uh, the whale, mm. that sounds weird. Yeah, yeah. Before we, <laughs> sounds en- like, before we enter the whale, so, <laughs> sounds like a you know something you'd say bef- shortly before being removed from sea life, the sea life center. <laughs> um, I want to talk about a film that explores the idea of isolation. Uh, and is a mainstream film that has achieved mass mainstream popularity. Mm. And for that reason and many other reasons, is problematic in the manner that it does it. Yeah. Um, because I feel like there's a lot of things in The Whale that I think I think there's a degree of earnestness in what they want to explore in the film. Yeah. But I don't know if it's because of the trappings of mainstream cinema, audience expectation, or just, you know, just, you know, this is how they wanted to portray it. But there are problems it creates problems yeah uh and i think the film that i wanted to quickly mention beforehand the joker yes is a film that has many fucking problems in i feel in pretty much every single department yeah and i'm not saying that if you enjoyed the film you, you're a moron because mm. <laughs> obviously that's a very pretentious opinion to have <laughs> but to sort of contradict that i'm going to rag on it for a bit <laughs> uh and the sense that i think the main reason the film was lauded as this sort of incredibly impactful assessment of the modern world is because audiences are hankering for an experience like that but don't necessarily want an experience that's going to commit all the way yeah they want a film that's still going to be very much indebted to the models and forms of storytelling that have existed within superhero filmmaking for the last decade yeah or longer and and then a film comes along with a darker color palette a villain with a deep and rich history that even people that aren't into comic books would know. Yeah. Uh, and then there's violence and blood and swearing. And I don't want to sound pompous, but I think it's those reasons why so many people think this film is better than it is. Yeah. For no. me. <laughs> yeah. I um I remember seeing it and my initial thoughts were just like, I don't know what the fuss was all about. No. Like, it was good. I didn't think it was bad initially. I, I think it... it weathered in my mind over time mm. afterwards uh it's got problems with the script uh especially in how it handles his relationship with a another woman who lives in his block of flats oh, Jesus, that yeah. was just so lazy i was just that was that was the point where i just thought like why aren't people not talking about this moment and how hackneyed it is and how just like how many times has that been used before that trope mm. of oh she she's was never really there yeah, yeah. yeah that's emblematic to me of that sort of that fear of alienating mainstream audiences you yeah, know what i mean completely like, i i just i thought she should have been real that would have been so much more interesting and it's more of an issue to me in a damning indictment of the film because it wants you to believe that it isn't that yeah if the film was like happy to admit that this was like mainstream entertainment, mm. I wouldn't have a fucking issue with it. Yeah, like no. all of my issues with the film, I'd probably still have them, mm. but they wouldn't be anywhere near as sort of intense had the film or uh, the director, what was the, Todd, Hangover, Phillips. Todd Phillips, yeah, yeah. 
basically banging on about how this is like the new taxi driver for the new generation and, yeah. and trying to sort of like hark back to a period period of Hollywood where it was this sub, sort of like brave new frontier, this subversive filmmaking about a you know a pe- you know a generation of people desperately wanting to look in on the society that had been told is great but clearly isn't. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden you've just got this, which to me, I don't know, like that's why I think. I found the film so difficult to, to like or enjoy. Mm. And I know you're not supposed to necessarily enjoy it. It's supposed to make you come out the cinema and go, wow. Yeah. But I just, to me, like the film didn't serve any other purpose than being like a rallying cry for people to go at women on the internet. You know yeah, what I mean? Like it just, it. it's just like a, you know, like a, don't push us. But yeah. like there's no nuance. No. And Todd Phillips thinks that because he can sort of like half heartedly you know, sort of link the themes of and ideas of the problems that are going on in Gotham with our own society, that we're going to sort of establish this ideological bridge that's going to bring us closer to him, yeah. the character, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, like, I just don't think that any of these ideas that he's sort of saying or attempting to say, and he is so full of himself as well. The film is so full of itself in yeah. saying that. It's telling you all the time, like, oh, society is broken. Oh, this is what's going to happen if we don't fix it. Mm. What are you going to do if you don't fix it? You know, and it's like, well, I'm not sure that the mass population would be motivated by mindless violence to like take the upper elite to task. Yeah, because no. a guy wore some makeup and danced down some stairs like a bell end. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm just not convinced. No, and again, it wouldn't bother me yeah. if everyone in the film didn't spend so fucking long telling me that. It was really important and really special. Yeah. And this yeah. is like the landmark moment in the medium. You oh, know, okay. maybe I'm sort of overplaying that to sort of justify my frustration with the film. But what do you think, Ben? Sorry. No, I mean, again, I just, just what I was saying before, just, I thought it was derivative to the point of being a, like abrasive. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, it was confusing to me that no one was talking about it in that context. Everyone was talking about it. If they were talking about it in a negative way, they were going, they were talking about, uh, its potential for it to incite violence. Yeah. Uh, that was just not the problem with the film at all. Because, nice. it, you know, to its credit, it doesn't portray its central character as someone who you should follow. But... What I it, don't know. I think a lot of people would, you know. Do you think? Yeah. That's interesting. I, I don't know. Well, but then, you, you know, I'm not discrediting your point. I know what you're saying in the sense that it's so cheaply done that yeah. no one surely could... But. I think a lot of people came out of this film thinking that this was like a plausible outcome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I, maybe maybe you're right, actually. I just think... Not it, to undermine my point earlier. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just confusing to me uh, why the comparisons between It, Taxi Driver, and The King of Comedy were so positive. Yeah. I was like, it's just... That's, that's all it is, though. Yeah. Like, there's no... And you've slapped Gotham onto it. And yeah. you, you've taken a, a, a beloved franchise and warped it to to kind of fit the... Basically, to, to advertise it to people who have seen Taxi Driver once and think they're a massive Scorsese fan. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just... Um, yeah, I have, I have a lot of problems with Joker as well. It looks nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, but... It's forced. Yeah, big time. Really over... And actually, you know, moving on a little bit to, to the whale, I think that was, in terms of things being slightly forced mm. on on its audience, I think that it suffered from that as well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It might seem that the whole reason for this episode was to have a thinly veiled dig <laughs> at, uh, at at no, Joker. No, it needs to be said. Because, but yeah, yeah, I think it ties in with the film themes of the whale well. 
which we're going to talk about now. <laughs> Lovely stuff. <laughs> because we've had a whistle stop tour through isolation and cinema. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, but we're going to leave, we're going to start discussing Aronofsky's latest effort. <sighs> to sort of reiterate what I said earlier, I feel like my stock with this film, the stock of the film, has dropped substantially okay. since yeah, I have left yeah. the cinema. Okay. In a similar way, I mean, I sort of instantly you know I didn't like the Joker the moment I came out of the cinema, but the same sort of reasons in the sense that not necessarily it's trying to like it's relating to another film, but more in the sense of the way it executes a lot of its key themes mm. because the film is about the many manifestations of trauma. Yeah. You know, you've got Brendan Fraser's character who eats. He's got trauma from various things that have happened in his life. Yeah. Yeah. Through his closet homosexuality. Yeah. To leaving a family and a daughter as a result of that uh, yes. homosexuality. To the partner that he was most in, the person, to losing the person he was closest to more than mm. anyone else in the world. Mm. So as a result, you know, he, he develops uh, an eating disorder. Yeah. Then you've got the daughter who is obviously scarred by the split up of her family and the, obviously the emotional difficulties that she has with her mother yeah. and her absence of her father. Uh, and this has created someone that... Uh, She's quite detached in her own right. Yeah, she, she yeah. is. And I think it's that sort of hallmark of trauma that you know you desperately want to protect your, your own world by pushing everyone else away around you. Yeah. So you make yourself the most unpalatable person you can be yeah. in, in a way to defend yourself, yeah. you know? And then you've got uh, the character, uh, the nurse, who's yeah. his friend, friend of Brendan Fraser's friend, who uh, is also the sister of Brendan Fraser's former partner. That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, who is obviously scarred by the loss of him and directs a lot of that vitriol towards religion, organised religion. Yes. Um, because in her mind, that is a lot of the reason why he couldn't, that her brother couldn't break away from that and enjoy mm. his relationship. Yeah. Um, given the fact, that obviously, he, he's gay and in a lot of Christian society that is frowned upon. Yeah, especially in America. Yes. Um, so there's lots of different... And there's a few other areas as well, but that's essentially the meat and potatoes of it, really. Pretty much. Uh, it's probably not a very sensitive thing to say, <laughs> given what the film's about, but, yeah. you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's the um, you know that's the sort of nucleus of it the sort of the shared experience of trauma and how these different versions interact with one another yeah and the inciter of all that trauma is the central character of the film yeah you, you could argue yeah it all began when he left his family yeah and it's kind of ironic that that act whilst it was done with the best of intentions for himself has ultimately, in the long term, done nothing good for him at all. Mm. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you, you really can see why he's, he's sort of inhabiting that mental yeah. space, that self-destructive mental space. Um, I, I, my, Like I said earlier, I, I'm a bit more positive on it, I feel, on the whole. Mm. Uh, I can forgive Aronofsky for not being subtle, because <laughs> he yes. never has been. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is a fart and a lift. Yeah. Shit and yeah. a lift. Yeah. <laughs> Someone just walked in a lift, pulled their pants and trousers down, just yeah. shit in front of you. <laughs> yeah. Levels of subtlety. Yeah, but I like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, I just think that 
avoid lifts with Ben. Yeah, yeah. Christ. <laughs> Not car lifts. Avoid, I don't li- know. <laughs> avoid lifts with me and also uh, the driver in the film Drive. Yes, yes, um, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I was, I'm more positive towards it. I think I have a, a personal... I keep using the word reverence. You used it first in the first podcast, and I love it. But I have a personal reverence for films that can be overwhelmingly emotional. Okay. Um, I, th- I think that you know, if they have the ability to, have, you know, give me that little lump, I'm like, that's done a good job there. That's okay. That's really, uh, I've almost drawn to films like that. Mm-hmm. Um, tear jerkers, I guess. Okay. There's a threshold for me. Like there's right. some which are just weepy fucking nonsense, but this was the right balance. I. Th- I th- I sort of found ultimately, uh, despite the fact that a lot of the dialogue didn't help that cause. I think. I mean. I mean. I would argue that uh, a lot of that sort of in 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 the pursuit of making, if you want to make something that's going to make a lot of people cry, there has to be a pursuit of very sort of broad metaphor and allegory in order to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And in the pursuit of doing that, you could lose some of the nuance and realism yeah. that you might aspire to do. Yeah. And I would argue that whilst it might be effective, I, I, and I think you're right in the mm. sense that the film does achieve that sort of broad yeah. emotional impact. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's also to the film's detriment in the way it handles the, the, the sort of mechanics of getting to that point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because like you said, the script, I mean, fucking hell. And then the thematic link between the poem, the the whale itself, the book, Moby Dick. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I didn't. And the Christian subplot with... Um, oh, Ty Simpkins. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was... A kid from Insidious. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. completely... Again, that's just Aronofsky going, I like talking, I like exploring religion. Yeah, but he did in it film. so well earlier. The fountain, leave it at that because that was so. <laughs> that wasn't. That was the one thing about the fountain that wasn't subtle. Was it was about its connection to Christianity. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it didn't slap it out. Um, but this really did. Uh, and also, yeah. So it's got its ties to you know Jonah and the whale, and also Herman Melville's uh, Moby Dick. Moby Dick, yes. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't. Yeah, the, the lack of subtlety there was um, was great. It did great on me a little bit. I agree with you there, for sure. And there's just some lines of dialogue. Uh, are you seriously Frazier. trying to parrot me right now? Like, yeah, oh, yeah. People are amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah. I mean, Jesus the, Christ. Him. Yeah, it was It was a bit much and um, didn't need it. I think a lot of the more positive elements of the film come solely from performances. Mm. Uh, yeah, we got the the phrase naissance. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean he, you know, I mean, we were talking about it on the on the bus home, weren't we? Yeah, uh, yeah. That um, the slight parallels. Yeah, obviously there is, you know, he is obviously put a lot of the difficulty that he's had in his recent years mm. into that performance. Yeah, and I think that's where the earnestness comes from. Yeah, I don't personally, I don't think that it's really anything to do with the film and more to do with the wider narrative about him yeah and yeah. the fact that he's just got such a lovable face yeah he does <laughs> and, and he can convey that emotion so wonderfully i mean it was so difficult to even like ignore the praise about him in the film but the way he conducted himself afterwards and the way he spoke so frankly and honestly in his interviews and mm. you know there's that where he gets a standing ovation from lots of his peers and he stands up and he oh, looks so sort of like bowled over it's like 
this is someone that's obviously gone through a really really difficult time yeah it was still working but never really getting the sort of the, the big moments that this film will probably give afford him now i mean yeah, i think yeah. he's back isn't he i think so i hope so um but yeah i think a large part of the reason for my emotional connection to the film was to him yeah really no i think i i i do think that you're right in saying that because there's a bit in um well i mean kind of circling back to his earlier career he was a bit, a bit of an action star so yeah. he's in like the mummies and a lot of sort of universal properties and george of the jungle yeah yeah i'm seeing that at the cinema yeah like yeah. and he was a bit of a star and he he's rejected that now i feel you know he's with this film he tried to earlier he was in like crash and stuff. oh yeah, yeah. but he's he's kind of a, rejecting that kind of hollywood male persona by saying no no no, i'm going to do something honest and there's a line in the film where he literally kind of says i want you to tell me something honest and that's one of the better lines in the film I oh did you <laughs> okay yeah yeah I, I, um, that won me over um, okay fair enough yeah 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 i don't know why maybe it's just the way he said it but i was just like i think you put that in because of what's happened to him uh, in yeah his, this, in his yeah. earlier career and, and how he's developed that and how he's kind of ultimately rejected his his uh action star kind of ch- childish but lovable kind of hollywood leading man and for something more honest yeah. yeah, yeah. I think there's definitely an aspiration for that, and you know, I, I don't think anyone in the film is setting out to to do. To, you know, no one really sets out to make a film and do a bad job of it, really. No. And again, the subjective nature of things makes it difficult to uniformly say things yeah, are, yeah. are bad. But I just didn't really get on with the execution with lots of these things, and I I found that my connection to Fraser. Again, not the no, 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 yeah, not the TV show. No, no, no. Frasier's and Hong Chao's performances. Yeah, I actually think Hong Chao was the superior performance. Okay, yeah, I think I personally thought they were on par. But, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, I just think that she had a bit more to manage in the sort of more subtler mm. stuff. Okay, I mean the whole. Uh, I mean her, her relationship with Ty Simpkins. Ty Simpkins is, you know good-natured but ultimately misguided sort of one man on a moral religious yeah. crusade door knocker yeah. type you know i think that's when it sort of no matter what she did that was that was only going to do her character a disservice i think but it's not necessarily a reflection of her performance mm. but i think the film would have been better served if the, the religious stuff was kept more to the background Okay. Yeah, yeah. In the sense that she's obviously wrestling with a lot of resentment towards her father and the and the church to which he represents. Yeah, yeah. And she is basically saying that the church killed her brother. Mm, her yeah. father killed her brother. Yeah. Not directly, but through sort of religious dogma. Yeah. And the you know, and the imposition of all of these you know, basically unreasonable expectations that deny you you know the, your basic human rights to love who you want to love, be the person you want to be. Yeah, um, and you know, and that's something that she plays out brilliantly in the film. Mm. Even when, again, I'm being a bit harsh, aren't I? But even when the script doesn't really do that in any meaningful way, yeah. I think she elevates it, and I think she handles the subtleties of that really well. Mm. And then, as I said, Aronofsky sort of ruins it by introducing that that character who comes in and is supposed to represent, I guess, uh, the best and worst of religion in the sense that, yeah. you know, he clearly 
is genuine to some extent that he wants to help people, but there is an ulterior motive there as well for him. Mm. And um, and and there's also judgment. He's still, you know, the reason he wants to help Brendan Fraser's character is because he believes him to be ill. He believes him to be, and not because of his eating condition, by the way, because yeah. of his homosexuality. That, that's he, it, yeah. he is to be cleansed of that before he ascends to heaven. So there's yeah. obviously still that misguided bullshittery to his character. Yeah. Um, I just think he was really exaggerated. I think he could have, like I said before, he could have, he shouldn't have been in the film in its entirety. I, not a reflection of him as a performance. No, 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 it was but, fine. Yeah. But I just think that the film, particularly in terms of Chow's performance, mm. She could have shouldered that more than all of that. She showed in those moments uh, that she could have done that, and I don't think he was necessary to the plot at all. I feel like it maybe if the film hadn't been based so religiously, if you will, on <laughs> on the play, because you can really tell it's based on a play, mm. and they have clearly taken a really broad idea about um, pro- religion evading progression basically they've taken that idea and boiled it down into one character that comes in and out of the flat yeah 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 yeah. if if he just got out of that out of that little apartment and maybe i don't know then maybe they just adapted it into a film like that that affords moving around space more so than theater does well they could have done that i i think would it, would it not have, been more have interesting? Possibly, but yeah. would it not have uh, undermined the themes of isolation to the film? You know. Oh yeah, I didn't think about. It. Yeah, yeah, it would have done actually. Uh, having him go be out and about may well. I mean, it would have been a drastically different film. Perhaps. I think you know those sort of like claustrophobic, mm. the claustrophobic nature of the way that the the themes are entangled with Frazier's character. I don't think you could have necessarily achieved that had he been sort of strolling around outside. Yeah, yeah, no, that's I mean, true, I'm not actually. saying necessarily that it can't be done, because if anything, the examples we've discussed talk about, you know, how isolation can be embedded into a character and a theme regardless of landscape. Mm. Yeah. Or obviously doing it in a way that suits the landscape, should I say. Yeah, yeah. Of whatever story it is they're trying to make. But... I just, I just think that that whole thing for me just really didn't work. And it, every mm. time he, he got to the point, every time he, he came back in, I was like, "Oh fuck off!" <laughs> yeah, no. You know what I mean, not you, only yeah. because of your belief system. Genuinely, you know, fair, fair play to you. If you want to believe in certain stuff, that's fine. But yeah. if you're lecturing other people, on, on, then that's when it obviously becomes a problem, right? I think that's yeah. what most people, you know, of our belief system would say, right? Yeah, is, is that of course it's fine. Just because he just became so fucking annoying and superfluous to the narrative, and it, it, you know, it just it became just more. He became more of a sort of walking, talking symbol of Aronofsky's struggle to hold allegory, metaphor, in a meaningful enough way to make the film more impactful, or certainly that moment more impactful. Yeah, no, I do. I do think you you're right in that the whole it its approach to the fact that it approaches religion at all was slightly detrimental it, well I say slightly detrimental I think yeah it, it didn't need to be in there at all I mean but. yeah it's set in a period of in a part of America where religion has clearly got a, a real hold on people mm, both yeah. for good and for bad one assumes but I just think like I said before Chow could have handled that she clearly had enough and she has the fucking chops clearly by the performance in the film that she yeah. could have handled that that uh, that background, yeah, yeah. Because I just it's sort of we sort of alluded to it with with the Joker, but I just think there's this sort of tendency now in films that that subtlety isn't enough. Mm. Yeah, and you've got to sort of, and then when you're not subtle, 
And when you really go in, particularly a film that's about as sensitive issues as this film is, yeah, that's when you set yourself open for people to go. This is exploitative. This isn't. This isn't good. Yeah, a number of people have said this. Uh, that uh, what's your about... view on that? I mean, I know this is a this is something that you know it's a, it's a tough question to ask. Yeah, no, it's difficult. But, I mean, I just wonder what your view is on it. I don't think it's exploitative. No, uh, okay. this film. I think that I can understand why people would would kind of take that away. Because of the the sort of the the sheer size of physical size of Fraser's character Charlie, he it it can't help but maybe give off the impression it's leering at him a little bit. But yeah, I don't really know how else it could have been done. And the fact that you spend all of your time with this guy and you okay. can't get to know him, I actually feel like if they cast a genuinely overweight actor, it would have been worse. It would have been like more exploitative, not less, which is what a lot of people have been saying. Interesting. Um, okay, I've not really considered that. You do know, I it, do I have a do I have a, the right to an opinion? Maybe not. Well, I, um, I don't know. I, I just think that really the the fact that that wholesale unsubtlety and the way that he goes about it leaves it more open for that. Mm, okay. And I think had the film been a little bit less concerned with that lack of subtlety, it might have tightened that up a bit mm. and made it a little bit less susceptible to those criticisms. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. Because I agree with you on the sense that the film, to some degree, has to have that. Yeah. My issue with it, and I think where I agree a little bit with that sort of exploitive element, is that almost the way it... It almost treats him like a fantasy creature at points. Okay. Do you know, like, the way when he, like, stands up and he is, like, not only, like, huge, but really tall. It's almost like... Yeah. I don't know. The light sort of shines on him a little bit from nowhere. I mean, I know Aronofsky does that a lot. Yeah, <laughs> but that's when I thought, hmm, that's a bit strange. Okay, I didn't, I didn't actually consider maybe that. Maybe I miss. Maybe I'm just sort of. Mis- but he was I, very. He was almost. I mean, he was almost like that's where the film starts to become classic Aronofsky and that sort of distortion of <laughs> realism, yeah. right, to suit these sort of grand. There's always a sense of these grander themes yeah, that he's yeah. going for, right? Um, I don't know. That's that's where I thought it was strange, and I, but I agree in the sense that obviously it has to have that. It has to have him it has as he to, was. Yeah, and it does have to kind of show you him in all of his kind of grotesqueness, in order to kind of um, to illustrate just how close he is to death, for one thing, and also just how out of control his eating disorder has become. But yeah, uh, looking back on it. He he was really tall, wasn't he? Yeah, and that wouldn't happen. You don't. I grow don't know. Up. I don't. Th- I don't, think I don't know. I, yeah. I. Whilst I think it's important that the film is, it sort of explores that visually, and you see him as he is. Yeah. I don't know. I think there is. There was something that wasn't. It didn't sit always that right with me, and I'm not entirely sure why that is. Yeah, it's just an interesting question because I think it's quite a big part of the, a lot of the reception to the film. Yeah, definitely. That. And, and that's, you know, that's that's fair enough, really. Yeah. I mean, you know, regardless of how this is executed, people are going to have opinions about this. Mm. Not just Charlie's response to trauma, but also the other characters. I mean, mm. there were some really visceral moments of dialogue from the daughter, weren't there? That were, I was like, wow, I'm not sure if yeah. this is a bit much. I really, I really grew to hate her character. I think you're meant to, obviously, but I, I found it really. Did good. you hate it? Did you? Sadie Sink's character, yeah. I struggled a lot. Okay. To identify, I mean, although I could, I could appreciate that she's been through quite a lot in her sort yeah. of earlier life, and you know, the breakup of a family. I personally thought that the way she treated her dad, just because you know, 
he's trying to reconnect with her and he's being so sweet and it's so clear that he's got so little time left. Her response to that was just so almost inhuman to me. And I know yet that that might just be based on like my maybe lack of exposure to human beings that are like that, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think... I really hate... I really... Yeah, I mean... I really I, struggle to get on with her in any way, really. But I think this is the issue with a film in, in being about one location and one person inhabits that location Mm. you're only going to see that perspective yeah you're only going to see his perspective the way it's hard i guess to flesh out the aspects of the other characters that come and go yeah yeah okay and when that happens and if there is extreme in the sense of the daughter Mm. then i think that's going to i think for a lot of people that would be their natural response because the film is almost encouraging you to side with fraser yeah, for lots yeah. of reasons. Yeah, yeah. But chiefly because he is the main character of this story. Mm. He is you know, all of the themes sort of pass through him. Yeah, and all the ideas of the film. You know, he's very much the sort of the, the central pillar of this narrative. Yeah, uh, and that creates problems for the other characters. I think. Yeah, and that's I guess again that's that's a that's a problem with just the nature of the way they've decided to tackle this story in the sense that you're making it very difficult for other characters to feel fleshed out enough to add, not necessarily justify, but add a bit more sort of depth to their characters in a way that would make those moments more believable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Maybe actually the fact that I had that reaction to her character, I, I think I thought she Sadie Sink herself was really, really good at portraying mm. her. Um, yeah. The, the empathy l- l- just was all with phrases with Charlie and not with her at all for me. And, but, and I think that's again. I think that speaks to the problematic nature gosh, of the way the yeah. film handles it. It might be an issue that might not not be the intention at all. Mm. But I just thought her she was overwhelmingly horrendous to him. Like there was one point where she just shouts at him, and again, this speaks to the sort of unsubtlety of the script. She she's just like, I can't wait for you to fucking die. Yeah, I was yeah. just like, okay, that's that's just so unbelievably nasty. What you've said, to... but they're not uncommon for teenagers to say anyway. Well, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe. I'm sure I probably remember saying that at some point to somebody. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, yeah, I I think there is you know, there's an earnestness here. I think there's a desire to tell a compelling and interesting story about how trauma influences uh, behavior, how trauma can, you know, essentially. You know, it can give you demons that will haunt you to your death, or bring about an early death. In the case of, in case yeah, of um, yeah. Charlie's uh, situation, but I think again, I keep going back to it, but I think it's that lack of subtlety, uh, folk, and, and, and Aronofsky focusing on areas I think are necessary to the grand, to the more affecting parts of the narrative that impact the effective nature and the realistic nature of that. Yeah. You know, you, you only have to look on. I mean, I, you know, after I've seen a film, I like to like give it a couple of days to sit on myself, and then I'll, you know, take to the reviews. Then, yeah, okay, yeah. and I go on Letterbox because I find Letterbox is this isn't a plug, but you know, <laughs> I find it's like a really good way to sort of get a wide scope of, of opinions from people that are really into writing deep analytical stuff to people who just got like a two sentence reaction. I think a lot of people found that element difficult. Mm. The element, the elements of the film, you know, almost some people you know addressing make it almost laughable it's just laughably poor how much he misses it Aronofsky and I don't think it's laughably poor but I but I do think it's underdeveloped in a way that 
like I said, it, it sets you up for deeper criticisms about the representation of the traumas that you're presenting on the screen. Yeah. You know, you know, trauma can make people like that. It can make people so angry and unreasonable. And it can make people say the most horrible, horrible things. Yeah. So it's not necessarily untrue. Yeah. But it's the way that they're framed and the way that it is used that is the problem. And it yeah. makes it unbelievable. For me. Yeah. No, I think it, it doesn't explore the... Uh... The, the way that what's happened in Charlie's past has affected the other characters enough. I mean, it does touch on it quite a lot, but the, the like you say, the way that they approached it was too much in his favour, yeah. perhaps, and that's why I've had this kind of. That's why I was I was so empathetic towards his, mm. his character, and yeah, it does kind of fray a little bit. There's just bits as well, like when he goes outside and and the guy that's been really friendly to him sees him coming out, and he's like appalled by him, you know. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just think oh, I just don't know what the point of that is, really. I mean, yeah, that that kind of came and went, didn't it? There yeah. was there was no resolution to that at all. I thought they were going to get to know each other. And yeah. That was maybe quite a nice sweet ending. Um, <laughs> no chance. Yeah. No. Um, briefly, I uh, we're, we're we're coming up to quite a significant portion of time spent on this now, but um, <laughs> I just wanted to ask about uh, what how you thought. Uh, how well you thought the film handled its treatment of vices, okay, uh, and specifically, and people enabling them. So right. uh, I'm talking okay. about uh, the the nurse, the character, the yeah, nurse yeah. handing him food all the time, mm-hmm. and also you could kind of argue that Charlie is handing over, you know, the financial benefit to his daughter as well, and that's kind of potentially a vice, and just yeah, like that that kind of interesting idea. Well, I mean, uh, that brings up a whole... It's a new, new yeah, discussion. Bag yeah. Of, yeah, but I mean, I would... I think at the end of the day, I, I guess in her character's mind, I mean, I'm trying to get into the mind of a character that I don't know here, yeah. but, you know, who is she to stop him from doing it? Yeah. Because it's disempowering, isn't it? You know, disempowering choice. Yeah, and, and also... I mean, the, I mean, a lot of people would feel very strongly about that and say yeah. on the opposite the opposite side of the fence. I'm not saying they're wrong either. Yeah, no. But I I personally think that is it, is it her call to disempower him, the choice to not do that, to not be that way? To not, yeah. To not, you know, even if it is self-destructive to some extent, is it her call? Yeah, and it ultimately it's not. It's his, no, it's, it's not. His it's choice. not a call. It's, it's his choice. No. The tragedy within the fact that he wants to do that, I think, if explored more meaningfully, could have maybe added an interesting element, a deeper yeah, element to I, that. I really thought that was one of the things the film was lacking, was just an exploration of why she keeps handing him yeah. this, this sort of junk food that's killing him. And also... Yeah, why didn't they touch I mean, would, on that more? Would he would he be happier if she, if she didn't? You know, would he yeah. be happier if she was like, no, no, you're gonna eat celery and go for a walk? Yeah, you know what I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, like, it's not just a quick fix no. to stop that. You know what I mean? And I think again, it speaks to that nuanced approach that people, and that will encourage strong opinions from either side of the fence. I think so. Yeah, and people will say, well, some people would say it was unethical, unethical yeah. to allow someone to entertain this vice to the point of self-destruction but it's deeper than just a vice this isn't like mm. having like a sneaking a bar of chocolate on the way home from work no. which i do regularly <laughs> it's you know it's it's a psychological condition and yeah. it's you know it, it's deeply rooted in in you yeah the trauma, trauma has yeah, yeah the trauma has rooted that deep in with you yeah so 
I think sometimes there's a, there's a tendency, again, speaking way out of my, my, my sort of personal and professional <laughs> boundaries here, but, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a tendency for people to sort of obscure that and ignore that mm. and just to t- approach it from a position of logic. Yeah. Uh, but the trauma, the, a, trauma, a mind that is impacted by trauma isn't concerned with logic. Y- yeah. Wow. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I, I just think that I think what she's doing in a way, okay, on the face of it, it's pretty destructive. Yeah. But is it evil? Absolutely not. Yeah. Is it reasonable? Maybe. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. Like She, she keeps saying, she says multiple times, Charlie doesn't want to be saved. So I yeah. think she's kind of connected in, to him to the, to the point where she understands his sort of need for self-destruction. Because they're sharing the trauma. They're sharing yeah. a trauma of someone they both love dearly. Yeah. And they're connected by that trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there might be an element, interest, an interesting area of exploration there. Again, keep saying <laughs> it. Had the film done it better? Yeah. Um, but no, I, 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 that's an interesting question. Yeah, I, I just thought of it. I, I just, just remember that being quite a, a yeah, a, like an interesting topic which wasn't fleshed out enough. Mm. There you go. Indeed. How does it stack stack up to his other films? Ah, uh, there's a number of his other films that I hold in quite high regard. Yeah, because I know you're yeah. quite a big, big, big fan, aren't you? Yeah, big fan of The Fountain. Yeah, um, I, I like The Fountain. Yeah, I'm yeah. with you. Um, big fan <laughs> of. I like Requiem for a Dream a lot. Uh, I actually, have seen it like three or four times. Have you? Yeah, you so, three uh, or four times. Uh, other hell. people, say, a lot of people say oh, it's a one watch film, isn't it? Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, like the Wrestler, fine. I actually think it's one of his weaker ones. I oh, loved loved Black Swan. I thought Black Swan really won me over. A bit, slight, again, slightly flawed, like all of his films. But um, yeah, that that was decent. Noah. Uh, a lot of people didn't like Noah. I didn't mind it. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was. Uh, I thought there was a really good sequence in the middle, which effectively combined um, uh, religion and science. Yeah, and it was a really smart little sequence. And I actually don't remember an awful lot else. Okay, <laughs> and so that sequence alone, I was like, "Yeah, it's a good film. That sharp Hannah, <laughs> it is good. We're watching it." <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, what, what about you? What your? Um, I, I've always, I don't know. Like, I feel like Aronofsky for me is someone that I like, but it's hard to not acknowledge the areas of his filmography that you can see why people. Yeah. have issues with his films i forgot to mention mother another film which i which i didn't get to see i know i said last yeah. week i would but i didn't i think mother is even less subtle than the whale fucking hell <laughs> but somehow it actually i mean it's more visually striking mother or i should say mother because it's got an explanation mark at the end that's a joke by uh mark commode just realized cut it out <laughs> uh, anyway <laughs> and it is abstract enough in the way that it tells the story, although it is like just a big, huge allegory for mm. a really well-known biblical story. Um, yeah. yeah, I quite like it. <laughs> I mean, once yeah. you, I think with Aronofsky, you have to just sort of accept that he isn't going to, like we said, we alluded to earlier, uh, he isn't going to be subtle. No. He isn't really interested in that. He's got things that he's fascinated by and he will explore them in the way that he always has, which yeah. is uh, overt. Yes. <laughs> uh, and... That you know, people's mileage will vary with that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think this film stacks up amongst his best. I mean, I obviously reckon for a dream. Uh, I have only seen it the once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I quite liked the wrestler. I mean, the wrestler was a film I watched like it's like my fledging days of a, as a as a film proper film oh, fan. Right, so okay. yeah. maybe I need to revisit it. Uh, there's with, some with, pretty obvious 
Christ metaphors in it. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know where it fits, but I just I, I, ultimately I, I just think it's a bit disappointing, and I, I I can see a lot of the criticisms to the film are merited on the basis of that inability to explore things in a in a sort of meaningful and nuanced manner. I think you're right. I, I don't know. I, I've got he's got a weird way of winning me over a little well, bit. That's Aronofsky. fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Strange. Yeah. Um, I, you've spoke. I think you really put it really nicely about the idea of unsubtlety if done right. In your eyes, you know, yeah, if done yeah. right, it can really it sort of can really envelop you. In, yeah, and, no, I, and, wash, and I think that speaks to a lot of films that do, that operate like that. Yeah, yeah. Because it, I'm going oh subtlety, you know, oh, but, but but you know, there's an argument for both sides. I yeah, guess. yeah. I guess I that just, is so Switzerland, isn't it? That, oh, mate, that I just fine. I just let my <laughs> I let my guard down with films like this sometimes, and and I think I like doing that. We all need <laughs> films, it's, like that, don't we? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nice, good. Well, uh, cheers, cheers. Outro. Questing the cinematic void. There we go then. Getting longer each episode. Yes. Uh, and it's not hubris. It's just you know we we waffle on. Growing our growing confidence in the media, yeah. perhaps. Yeah, 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 maybe. Maybe it is a bit hubris. Then. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um. So uh, next week we alluded to it last episode, but we are still going to go ahead with our episode on the Fablemans. Yes. Uh, it will be an episode conducted by not two but three. Stout <laughs> men. Alfie's going to be back for that episode. Long-time listeners remember him. Uh, he's got a lovely voice. He does. Eloquent and, and true. Like being sliced with a velvet knife. Oh. <laughs> and he'll be doing the slicing in the next episode. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, we also have mentioned before, and we're going to say it again <laughs> yeah. for some reason, uh, an episode about Disney. Yes, yeah, I'm looking um, forward to that one as well. So we're gonna we're gonna work on that and try and get those out to you, mm. you know, in our usual bi-weekly format. Perfect. Yeah. So next week, uh, Fablemans and talking about the semi-autobiographical film. Yes. From you know, I mean, I, I'm gonna just want to pre-warn people. I, I always seem to manage to shoehorn a Danny Boyle film into these podcasts, and next week's will be no different. <laughs> Predator Two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somehow, Danny Boyle's me. Predator Two. Danny... <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try and shoehorn that in as well. <laughs> uh, yes. Have a lovely weekend. Nice. It's funny. I always say lovely weekend, but people might listen to this when it's not the weekend. I yeah, thought that the other yeah. day. Oh, that's all right. Okay. Don't Have we... a lovely weekend and uh, we'll see you in the next one. See you in the next one. Cheers. Bye-bye.